Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight is my regular panelist, Bruce Garrick. Bruce, thanks for being here and uh, helping put this one together. Yeah! Hello, gamers! There it is. I'm also joined by first-time guest, Corey Demiurge-Banks from Gamers With Jobs. Corey, welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. So the only reason you're able to talk your way onto this show tonight uh, <laughs> is that I had absolutely no ideas, none whatsoever. But you suggested a right. really interesting topic, uh, which is... I, I believe what you're looking for is I swooped in and saved the day, Rob. Pretty much, because it was going to be, yeah. hey, what you've been playing. Uh, so don't need another <laughs> one. Or listener questions. So tonight we're going to be looking at uh, what is the role of intellectual property protection in game design. Uh, and to help us cover this issue, we have with us Will Flaxbart of Flaxbart and Greenspoon, LLC. Uh, Will is an intellectual property legal expert, and he's here to offer some perspective on this topic. Uh, Will, thanks for coming on to the show. No problem, Rob. Thanks for having me. Before we get into this topic, uh, Corey, why don't, why don't you explain why this has come up? What, 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 put this in, what put this on your mind? Right. Well, friend of the show, Bill Abner, uh, writing over at, at No High Scores, he wrote about uh, this game, Viking Lords, on, on iOS platform, which is iPad, iPhone, uh, I, iPod Touch. God, I can't keep track of any of them anymore. And, and he, he, the game is, is incredibly reminiscent of many of Richard Borg's strategy titles, like, like Command and Colors, uh, Memoir 44, sh- games that have been discussed probably by Julian Rabbit Murdoch on the show to no end. Uh, but it, it cribs quite a few rules from that game. And there's been some debate on Board Game Geek about whether that's okay, if there's been a trademark infringement. And, and Fantasy Flight, uh, who, is, who has published some of the uh, Richard Board games, I believe Battle Lore, uh, fact check me on that, someone. Uh, yes, they've, they've actually even stepped into the fray and, and, and threatened litigation. Okay, now, I mean, have you, have you played uh, Viking Lords? I have, yeah, I have it on my iPad here, and it's, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely got some of those rules. It has the same sort of, uh, you know, you've got three sides of your 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 attack. Um, you know, you can move your your left, your right, or your your center platoons. Uh, it, it it definitely feels quite a lot like a Richard Borg game on an i on an iPad, which from a consumer perspective, I'm okay with. I actually think that's kind of a cool concept, uh, but obviously, someone at Fantasy Flight disagrees with me. Right, and for for those of you who aren't familiar with the uh, command and color system, they all. I mean, this is this is maybe one criticism I, I kind of have of the uh, of the system is that all these games adhere to certain mechanics, and one of them is the board is divided into thirds. There's left, center, and right, and you play from a hand, and the hand size varies with the scenario, but you can only you are constrained by what the cards in your hands uh, in your hand allows you to do. Uh, so it's right. it's a very distinctive system. Uh, so Corey, I mean, you know the system. Is this Command and Colors game just with a different name and different skin on it, or no? I mean, no, I don't think it is. It, it feels fairly distinct from from just a, a theme kind of perspective. I, I I actually don't think it's as well done as like a Command and Colors scenario for missions. Um, and, and that's that's really part of the magic of a lot of the Richard Borg games is not not even so much the system that you're playing, but the scenarios that you're playing that playing with um, asynchronous battles uh, where where one side is clearly outnumbering the other one, and it takes a, a significant uh, amount of skill to overcome that challenge. I don't think Viking Lords pulls that off nearly as well. Uh, Will, have you have you had a chance to look over at least kind of the arguments that are going back and forth over this? I did. I looked at. Um... Uh, the interview that iOS board gamers did 
Uh-huh. So it's an interview between Gabe Alvaro uh, and uh, Johannes. I'm going to murder this name, I'm sure. Johannes Pivanen, who I guess is one of the three guys uh, uh, from Finland who are Puffin Software who built the the Viking Lords game. And there's a. It's an interesting. Uh, when I, I was, uh, I actually talked to Bruce a little bit about that earlier today. It's an interesting uh, exercise in why you gotta watch what you say <laughs> in uh, a public environment, because uh, in the, it's certainly in a circumstance like this, because a lot of what uh, Johannes is saying in terms of the development of the game, really, uh, I'm surprised, frankly, to hear uh, Corey say that it, it's it's so different, because a lot of it looks like. Essentially, what they did is, is they ported Battlelore onto uh, a playable platform on a on a on a Mac, uh, and they you know they they developed that obviously they with the code for it, but they but they were trying to make a computer playable version of Battlelore. That's how they started, uh, and so a lot of what uh, he says really sort of goes to what is the process that they that they went through to generate Viking Lords. Doesn't he say and actually since, though, Will, that he he like offered to 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 let Fantasy Flight publish it or something like that? Yeah, they said they pitched it to Fantasy Flight, uh, and, and they're basically they said they, they were interested but were slow to get back to them. So And, and that's what, again, the, he says in his interview. And so what did they do uh, instead? They, so at that, point, they, at that point, they were like, well, let's just make it Vikings, and, <laughs> uh, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll issue our own, our own game. Uh, which, you know, the question, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting legal question, as to whether or not there's a protectable interest that uh, Fantasy Flight or Mr. Borg have in the game itself, and then whether these guys step on that interest, right? Yeah. Now, Will, I want before we get any further, I want you to make sure that you uh, you clarify to people the difference that we're we're really probably talking about copyright and not about patent. That is correct. Uh, there's there's so there's there's like four uh, main ways that you protect, you know. Or three, I should say, really main ways that you protect your your intellectual property. You can copyright it, you can patent it, and you can treat it as a trade secret. There's also a trademark, but that's sort of a separate animal. Uh, you know, trade secrets obviously aren't going to apply for games. They're publicly available. I mean, you see it, you know what's in them. Uh, patents co- go to um, more typically matter that isn't like a game. It's going to be like a you know a machine or an invention that you would think of as an object. Uh, sometimes business methods come in, but I think it'd be pretty tough uh, to to write a patent to cover, you know. And obviously, look, I, you know, I'm a lawyer, so I got to say this up front. A lot of this is is the minimum treatment necessary to cover these topics. I could talk about patent law for hours, you know. And obviously, I don't I don't have any relationship to the guys at Fantasy Flight or the guys at Puffin. It's you know, it's just an interesting legal question to us. So. Um, the the real prong here that we'd be looking at is that that copyright prong because when you make an what's called an original work right in legal language, you have a right to control it. You have a right to control whether copies are made or in in this instance what we think we'd really be talking about is whether derivative works are made from that from that work. So so we're really talking about copyright and um, in the comment thread. Uh, the Fantasy Flight Games guys said something that shows that they're actually keyed into this issue because they said we and Borg, uh, Richard Borg talked and have and have decided we're gonna you know they look like they're gonna take legal legal action right. So so will but tell me tell us a little bit more about the the interview that you, that that, uh, that you read because your comment to me was something along the lines of you know if this ever goes to court if this interview isn't Exhibit One then somebody's doing something wrong. 
Exactly. I think that's I think that's for sure the case. I mean, if these guys file a complaint and this this and they haven't found this interview yet, and they obviously know about it, they're commenting in the thread. I mean, uh, they just say stuff that's not smart. The I mean, uh, Puffin Johannes, Games guys. Yeah. Right. I mean, their their attitude. I mean, it hurts them. I think I think one of the things that hurts that would, will hurt them in the long run is their attitude is very cavalier about this. Uh, you know, um, obviously it's an issue for some of the gamers. They're like, hey, you're ripping off. You know. Richard Borg, we like Richard Borg, we like his games, why are you ripping him off? Uh, and Gabe uh, Alvaro asked a few questions. He said, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you say to the people who, who say, you know, you're ripping off uh, Borg's game? And they basically say, uh, just get over it, <laughs> which is not really uh, maybe the best. And then they say, oh, well, people are ripping off other games all the time. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm summarizing, but... Yeah, that, that was my next question, was that you, you see this happen in, in lots of different genres. I mean, I, I can think of off the top of my head, five different variants of Bejeweled that have shown up, right? And and it, it, even games that aren't adding new mechanics onto the, the actual gameplay, I mean, Jewel Quest or whatever is is essentially a ripoff of Bejeweled. At what point could could Jason Kalpaka throw a fit and, and send legal teams after those guys? Well, I mean, that's, that is an interesting question. I, you know, Bejeweled is a, is a tougher, it's a tougher thing to talk about because it's it's inherently less complicated. It's a I'm a, it's a matching game, right? I'm matching elements. So, you know, for me, a lot of this comes into this this thing that we call that we call the legal legal guys call sends affair, which is stuff that sort of comes along of necessity once you decide to do a game. So, if I'm doing a World War II game in Germany, uh, you know, and I want to do Battle of the Bulge, well, I know I'm going to have Tiger tanks. I know I'm going to have uh, certain kinds of things that are going to appear in that game, and so those things aren't going to be. Uh, susceptible of use when I start. So if somebody else does a similar, you know, game, I can't say, oh well, they have snow and tiger tanks and and generals and you know they they're not right. going to be able to say those things are co- are evidence of copying because uh, they they would they would of necessity be there. So I mean I don't know what the I don't know what the the level of you know I'm making a, a throwing jewels down a well game and they got a match and so I don't know what what comes of necessity there, right? Uh, and it may very well be that they just decide they didn't care. Right. I mean, the, the fact that they don't go after them doesn't mean they can't. It just means they, they chose not to. Well, here's here's something that, that, you know, I was curious about as we were, you know, considering this topic was, you know, a lot a lot of these. I don't know. I mean, I don't know the his, the legal history of wargaming, but it, it, it seems to me like I would suspect that a lot of it sort of grew up in sort of statutory statutory neglect. Right. Where ideas are coming along and perhaps not being strictly protected. Uh, but. You know, if you if you take something like the command color system, which is a way of governing how troops can move, how how the game can how the game can be played, um, and you take that back like a couple decades, I mean, what what would have stopped someone from saying, you know, oh, this is a this is a war game played on a hexagonal grid, um, or this is a role playing game where characters gain experience points and then reach levels. What would what would have prevented these from being copyrighted and a lack of how, money? <laughs> well, well, well right. is, it, is it a lack of money or is it more of like a, it has to be a complicated enough concept so we, we're it's, talking about that it's, go ahead Will it's somewhere in the middle there right I mean you don't copy so it's 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 something that uh, I think is widely misunderstood it was in both uh, emails to me today that, that got sent about this topic so the you don't copyright an element right you copyright a work so in this case uh, probably Richard Borg has a copyright in his game, Battle Lords, right? 
it's a work. It's an original work. He, so he has a copyright in that work, and and he may have assigned it to uh, Fantasy Flight. Maybe they filed the copyright. You know, the the who has the actual copyright is is not critically important, but it's probably Borg with a some kind of an arrangement with Fantasy Flight would be my guess. And GMT so, also because he also has has uh, he has multiple publishers publishing his games. Let's make that clear. Right, and and each of those each of those games is a different work that he's got a copyright in. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So so. The copyright is in the work as a whole, okay? It included in the work will be what are called protectable elements, right? Mm -hmm. And so now we look at are those themselves original? So, you know, um, I was giving the example earlier of, you know, if I make a, uh, if I make a, you know, a giant monkey game where there's a plumber climbing to get to a giant monkey, right? Well, that's Donkey Kong. I mean, we all have seen it or whatever. Uh, That game itself as a whole would be the protectable Work so that'd be the copyrighted work, and then the elements of it, like the you know, I've got a, a big monkey at the top that looks like this. I've got a, the plumber that looks like this. Those would be protectable elements. But if someone else came along and made a different giant monkey game, I couldn't go after them just because they had a giant monkey. Right? I can't copyright the idea. I'm copywriting the the work itself, and then the the protectable elements of it. So you know, like in the Disney example, I can copyright uh, the Mickey Mouse movie. And I can copyright Mickey Mouse as a protectable element, okay? But I can't copyright all mouse films. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Well, just, but and but in this case, I mean, wouldn't the um, would the way you move your plumber climbing the ladders, you know, using using a stick on an arcade device, uh, I mean, would that would that be a protectable element? Well, I want to make sure you mention today uh, uh, what happened today uh, that you're telling me about. Because that sounds like Rob's asking about a game mechanic and the idea that you asked your copyright guy about <laughs> game mechanic. This is cause this is. It's true. I, I I did. I talked to my I talked uh, I talked to my um, partner and and friend Michael Laporte at our office about this issue for quite a while. He's really the main copyright guy for us, and uh, it was actually funny because he's not in any way a gamer, and so the, to communicate to him what a game mechanic was was. Took a, it took a little bit because his initial thought was that it's like how you lay the pieces out. Do you unfold the board? I mean, stuff like that. So right. the actual physical mechanics of the game. So you're talking about some fairly specific sub-element like, okay, I'm moving the joystick to move the guy, right? Yeah. Up a ladder. I mean, is that a protectable sub-element? I mean, I would give you a definite probably not, like if I'm, if I'm doing a legal analysis of it, right? But when I put it all together – you know, as a work, does it then become copyrightable? And, and of course, it's copyrightable. The question is now, what's protected, right? So now, now it becomes a, a facts and circumstances analysis. So you look at um, how did how did Viking Lords come about, right? In the, in the in the instance that we're talking about today. So, and that's where I think these guys did themselves a grave disservice in the things that they said during this interview. I mean, it's sort of my job as a lawyer, right? I look at what people say, and then I come up with a way to jam them with it. So, uh, you know... <laughs> and this is why I don't that, get good interviews. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's okay. And so one of the things he said is he specifically says, you know, we wanted to... Uh, here it is. We never intended to offend anyone, but merely adapt a game that we like to play and make that available to others. I mean, uh, okay. This is why this interview is Exhibit A for me, Right. I mean, he, he, he acknowledges that the first thing they did is they took this game and they made a computer implementation. The second thing is he acknowledges that they were adapting a game they liked. You know, and then some of the other things that are said in here, even the interviewer says, I, I felt warm and fuzzy and happy the minute I started playing this game because it had all the stuff that I love about this Richard Borg game. It, it fails on my um, 
do, they totally copied that test in some ways, right? Which is where when you look at it, if you say, uh, dude, they totally copied that from somebody, it might be, you know, a non-permissible derivative work, right? So that's, did I complete, so this, so what's a, I hate to get into legalese here, but what's a derivative work, right? I, I, it's, it's clearly not a complete copy, right? They didn't just lift the exact artwork, the rules, the everything, and just, and lay it out there. If they'd done that, there would be no question. What right. they did is they made, you know, what is arguably a derivative work. So now we go into, in, in the law, we say, we ask questions about that. What makes something a derivative work, right? So the questions are, you know, is it transformative? In other words, did it completely transform the original thing into something else? And that's, that's when we start to get into these incredible gray areas. And that's when we look at how it happened. And that's, that's where, uh, you know, what they say about it, I think, is, is not particularly strong for them. I mean, the way that they got to the product. Are you, are you familiar with a lot of the Richard Borg games? I have played uh, Memoir 44. I have not played Battle Lore. My question is, is kind of speculative, and by all means, tell me to, to stick it up my ass and not answer it or anything, but because Richard Borg has used this system with very few variants o- across different publishers and different titles, does that hurt his case as far as, as claiming that this is uh, a blatant ripoff that, that, that should be sued and shut down and, and sending out cease and desist letters and that sort of thing? Does that do anything against him from a legal standpoint? I don't see how it would. Uh, Does it actually again, help I mean, him? I, because I don't, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not an end-all legal authority, but, but certainly right. in, if, if I was looking at the case to take it or not, it wouldn't bother me. I'd say, I'd say Richard has the absolute right to make, if, he's got, if he retains the original copyright in these various games, and he, he probably does, but if he retains the original copyright or at least retain the right to make derivative works, he's just he's doing exactly what he's allowed to do. He's making derivative works from his game. He's saying, oh, I, well, I like this. I'm going to make another version that has um, army guys. I'm going to make another version that has guys with swords. I'm going to make another version that has, you know, Civil War guys. I mean, I don't know how many there are out there, but... Uh, See, I would have I imagined it was the opposite approach. The reason he can keep using this system is bec- because it's not so locked down as, as one definable system. I thought the reason he I, could keep using the system is because he owns the copyright. Yeah, he, he's the he's the copyright holder, and if he if let's assume he's the copyright holder in the original system, he can do whatever he wants with it. He can he can make a new version and sell it to somebody else. And 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 then the only real question, I think, the thing you're getting at is is he is he violating his agreements with one or the another of the publishers or not? You know, I would right. I would, is, I would, is is changing the theme of the game enough for that? Right. I mean, and I it's would tend- obviously not something we can answer because we don't know his business agreement. Sure. I mean, I would tend to guess. That, I mean, given his business, that he that those are not rights he assigns over. You know, in my in if I was, you know, if I were in the world where I'm working on on representing somebody like that, I wouldn't I wouldn't give up the right to make derivative games. I'd say, well, this is you know, I'm gonna happy to bring you, I'm happy to bring you, uh, World of Wonder. I think my my, my days of wonder. Yeah, uh, days of, of wonder. Right. Yeah. I'm happy to bring you my World War Two version of this game, but uh, I'm gonna keep my sword swinging version of this game and I'm going to sell it to Fantasy Flight, right? Yeah. This, this had an interesting impact on, on me just reading about this. And I think I had the same, the same thought process that, uh, uh, Bill Abner did as he's writing through this. It made me want to go get the game on the iPad. Like it, it didn't make me think, wow, these guys are jerks. I'm never going to give them my money. Like I, I actively sought out the game and gave them my $5 or whatever. Hmm. Well, and in Um, the end, why is that? I'd like to hear what, what the reason is for that. 
part of it part of it was curiosity mm-hmm. like just wanting to follow the story mm-hmm. right and, and another part of it was there there aren't any richard board games available on that platform mm-hmm. uh, the closest i can get without you know to playing one of these games without having people over and pulling out the board games themselves mm-hmm. is playing the memoir 44 beta version that they have on the pc which by the way i think is is pretty damn good mm-hmm. but i, I it, it more than anything else it opened up for me an opportunity like i'd like to see more publishers put out these kind of games on the platform well i mean i guess the the problem there is that you know you actually you're actually doing a disservice to the publisher i, I I'm, I'm trying to avoid saying that but yes that's exactly what i'm trying no, to say you, you, i mean that's I'm, i thought of that actually and it's 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 something that i would probably struggle with if i hadn't already you know hit the buy now button but it, I mean, it's it's something to think about. Uh, here I am rewarding somebody for, depending depending on how you feel about it, ripping off Richard Borg, who is a, a a game designer. I wouldn't say he's struggling, but certainly he's a guy that I want to continue to support. Right? And and that's the thing, but, though, right? I mean, it's the, the idea of the you know I I do, I I do fall on the side of you know I support the idea of intellectual the theory of intellectual property and the fact that you know people can make money off of their whatever protectable ideas that they have whether it's through the form of copyright or or uh, or patent or whatever because that's an incentive for people to uh to invest money in uh in endeavors that will be financially profitable for them so mm-hmm. um i just don't the, the 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 interesting thing for me really was when uh, i was talking to will earlier about how the idea that one of the things um will used a specific legal term which i don't recall uh but the idea that um uh, it goes to the issue of something uh, when you're in, sort of in court and and showing that this guy is he's just not a good guy because his oh the equity equity yes that's what you said yeah 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 that, we call that the equity it's it's basically how how do you how how do you look when you're in you know the equities are going to really help you in front of a jury which uh, is where uh, something like this would typically end up although not necessarily always. But I mean, how is that different from perception? Uh, it's 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 a fancy legal word for that. There you go. Oh, okay, I see. So I, I say equity, and then other rate. lawyers. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> clear as you as you read the interview at Board Game Geek that the, the guy is brazenly, unabashedly ripping off. You know, and and, he, and almost proud of it. I get, I got the sense, and I yeah, he just does not research. Care. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I I mean, the guy's pro. I'm guessing the guy's young. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I'm certainly not old, but he's young, and he was he was very happy to just be making whatever money he's making right. off of the app store right now. Right. Anyway, he read to me like an, the sort of IP crusader type who's saying, "Look, you shouldn't be able to have rights in something like this, and therefore I'm going to use them." And uh, I tried to go through you, and you didn't seem to love me very much, and so now I'm going to go out and do it on my own. Right. I mean, that's I'm I'm totally projecting, <laughs> but. But I mean that's that's you know that's the way it it seems to me right I mean he he's right. not uh, I mean just get over it is a, is very aggressive and and you say something like you know oh this is being done by everybody right well here's the other thing that I wanted to mention was that um, well go ahead I I'll, I'll bring it up later you're 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 just mentioning how uh, when when you um, when you when you talk about people making these these derivative works and him. Uh, saying that he came up with this uh, idea, specifically saying he came up with this idea as a, as a derivative of uh, 
of battle lore, it's possible for him to come up with a, this idea solely on his own. And some, sometimes that can that can be difficult to to suss out because you can you can create the the process of of creating that that work is at almost. I mean, it's it's a it's a huge part of whether this it's a violation or not. And will you were giving me two examples of uh, how you could sort of arrive at the same product through two very different pathways, one of which would be a violation, one of which would not be, uh, but it's so difficult to figure out what the what the the mechanism or what the the process was that it's that it's hard to prove. But this guy's really actually proving it for you because he's basically saying, yes, I got to this point because I basically copied this guy. Right. I mean, I gave my term paper example, which is which is that look, you know, we all had term papers in high school at some point, or or wrote, had to write a paper about something, and you know, you, you remember the dumb guys who were copiers who would basically take the paper and they literally like erase the other guy's name, write their name, hand it in. Well, that's that's what we would in the in the copyright world would call a literal copy, right? And then there was you know, you take it, you read it, uh, and then you just rewrite it in your own words, but you're really writing that paper over again that's that's what we call a non-literal copyright I mean, you haven't actually literally copied word for word but you've you've made you know you've made a copy you certainly certainly have made a derivative work and th and then there's the version where you know you look at someone else's paper for inspiration you go to the materials that they cite and then you write your own individual paper well that's obviously not copying anymore and it's probably not a derivative work uh but you could end up in theory at a product that looked almost identical to the thing that you did the, under my second example, right? And, and so, you know, in game design, you know, when you start with, you know, a, a certain amount of common elements, you've got chits you've got to move around, you've got cards or dice that you're going to use to generate random elements, uh, I think a lot of the times you can legitimately end up at something that looks a lot like something else, you know, particularly in the in the, in the area of, like, chit-based war games, like, uh, you know, like the... War in the East style game or something like that, where you end up with, you know, you, certain things are just common. There, you know, you're going to have movement points, you're going to have strength, you're going to have whatever, uh, and so uh, they might superficially look very much the same, even though uh, they're uh, generated completely separately. So what what's interesting here is that these guys have given us such a look into how uh, the game ended up. I mean, like if if Viking lords just magically appeared on the horizon, we were all looking at it and. Uh, you know, and started playing and saying, wow, this is a lot like a Richard Ward game, but it might not be so easy to determine, oh, hey, look, it looks like these guys have, have you know, uh, have derived this from their other, from Richard Borg's material. But, you know, in this case, they've actually told us a lot about how they did it. So, well, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that my, you know, considered opinion is that they copied it. Obviously, in no way do I know enough. But, I mean, I look at this stuff and I say these, I can certainly say these are things that if I were concerned about a copyright claim, I would not say. Well, it, it does seem, you know, should should mention a couple things that uh, the, the designer of the um, iPad game uh, mentioned. He, he he said that he, he ended up taking the game in another direction and, and iOS Board Gamer asked, uh, what do you mean by that? And... The developer said, we introduced a new theme and created a single-player campaign. We started to take liberties with the gameplay, tweaking and streamlining things that we didn't, that we felt didn't work. Right. Um, and then he goes on and says, at the same time, we made sure that we were not violating any copyrights so the game can be released. We'll see about that. But, but I think right there, he says, that, so they were taking liberties with the gameplay, tweaking and streamlining. And at that point, I begin to, you know, I begin to sense that, well, we might be, we might be on the... You know, we might be more in the territory of, you know, it's something derivative. They're taking inspiration from 
uh, Richard Borg, but not necessarily ripping him off. I don't know. I haven't played the game. But to an extent, I mean, isn't that... That's how a lot of games are developed. That's how that's how a lot of development takes place in the industry. You know, games are constantly borrowing from other designs. And one thing I wanted to ask you, one thing I wanted to get into a little is, you know, so, I mean, to, to what degree... I don't know. I don't have a. I don't have a really well phrased question, honestly. It's more. I, I'm curious about the tension between, as gamers and for the health. When of should we get mad? Is that the question? Not quite, but like you know, for for. I mean, that, when should the original designer have concern? Yeah, I mean, we want the industry to grow. We want to see new ideas, and we want to see innovation. And a lot of that comes through taking what other people have done and kind of running with it. Uh, so, I mean, the, how do you, how do you balance this tension between the the real need for the industry to borrow? or steal from earlier from earlier works, uh, but also to protect the rights of the creator. I have certainly personal thoughts on that, but they aren't they aren't necessarily legal thoughts. Uh, you know, I think there's a, I think there's a there's a comfort zone, right? There's a point where you're like, oh, this was clearly inspired by this other game, but it isn't just a rip, right? Okay, and that to me dovetails neatly with this test in copyright of whether it was transformative or not right i mean then that's the that's for an original work that's the that's the acid test that's what we use so in other words did we did we do enough did we come up with enough material essentially did we change it enough uh so that it has changed it into something else um and you know and and acknowledging that the things that might not change might be things that are common elements to these kinds of games. Might be what we like the things I referred to earlier as sense affair, right? These these things that are part of any game that's going to be like that. If of those things don't change, you know, so be it. But uh, you know, how far you have to go is an interesting question. I mean, I find it uh, telling that Fantasy Flight and Borg immediately had a had a reaction to this. They weren't, you know, they didn't uh, they didn't say, hey. I don't know. We're not sure. I mean, their, their immediate reaction was, "Wow, this is a complete rip of our game." Uh, and I think so. I think there's some sanity there in how does how does the original author react? I mean, if the original author, it's copyright isn't like trademark, uh, where you have to go out there and enforce it in order to retain the right. Okay, there's there's probably a few games out there. I'm sure that are that would that would under the strictest analysis of copyright infringement. Raised, rise to the level of uh, an infringement on somebody's copyright, but that nobody ever did anything about. Right, it sounds, they were like, like, it sounds like pornography. You know when you see it. Well, yeah, that's a good. That's a good that's, that's a fa- that's a famous. But but, it, but I, I mean, I think I think the point Rob's trying to get at, and Rob, shut me up if I'm wrong. But it, it's that I mean, we almost need that level of of copycatism for the industry to survive. I mean, innovation's hard to come by. It's it's. It's like once in a blue moon, right? And and so many games that we all play and love and enjoy are are variations on a theme. Well, first of all, blue moon is is probably a copyright of Reinhard Nietzsche, so I wouldn't bring that. <clears throat> probably, you know. yeah. Um, I think I think he published that after Labyrinth. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I mean, I, I guess the I guess the way that I see it is, I think that uh, you know I would. I'm I'm not sure why uh final uh I was gonna say Final Fantasy why Fantasy Flight would uh, not want to uh, 
to uh, publish a uh, an iPad version that was you know basically provided to them pretty much ready made by oh, some I, guys. I that. Why is that? They because because they would have to devote resources to QA to make sure that it meets their standards. They would have all sorts of executives who would probably get involved. They'd probably be upset that you couldn't get uh, ninety million uh, cardboard pieces in the box when you buy the iOS version. That's always a concern mm-hmm. at Fantasy Flight. They want to make sure they get as many cardboard pieces as possible. <laughs> um, <there laughs> I mean, from a, from a business perspective, it's. It's not as easy as saying, "Oh, yeah, this is great. We're going to take it in public." No, I understand like, that. No, I, I, I'm aware of that. I guess the I guess my, knowing my... knowing some people over at Hasbro and and the struggles that they've had working with digital partners mm-hmm. in in getting games like you know classic games like Risk and Monopoly mm-hmm. uh, onto digital platforms, not just not just Apple platforms, but even just PC games, mm-hmm. it's a it's a big struggle. So I can understand why they would have been concerned. And and that makes me think that yeah, from that perspective, the you know the guys who made Viking Lords, you know, had every right to go and, and try to make a quick buck, and they probably don't expect the game to be on the the store that much longer. But they've already made their point. Uh, but I, well, unless they're subject to damages, which will sort of erase that profit, whatever profit they made. Yeah, you know, I mean that that goes back to the the legal end of it, but I'm I'm really more concerned right now about like the the impact this could have on the industry. If if this is if this gets big, mm-hmm. which I don't know if it will, mm-hmm. but if it if it if it gets to the point where Fantasy Flight does go to litigation mm-hmm. and and there's big concerns about that, that's stifling a lot of the kinds of of games that we get access to as consumers because because so much of it isn't original. It's it's just like well, we've taken we've taken the the concept of of you know heroes of might and magic, and we've put our spin on it. And here you have King's Bounty, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a little different. Maybe we added the skill tree. But, ma- but but maybe those things are actually not protected as part of the copyright, right? I mean, maybe those things that maybe maybe those things that you're worried about, you know, going away, are, are things that don't pass that. Hey you know, or, or pass, whichever one you want to say, pass or don't pass, basically don't fall under the the rubric of, you know, hey, he copied that. But as a game designer, how do I know? I, and is that going to keep me from working on the game? I mean, you, you know, just like I anybody mean, if else. I mean, if right? I, I, I'm now, now I'm thinking like, you know, I, I had a killer idea for a game, but I, it, it maybe it's it's really close to StarCraft, and I don't want to I don't want to piss off Blizzard, so I guess I better not do that. Well, what could it have been? It could have still been fun. Mm-hmm. I, I I just I'm, I get nervous when we start thinking about. I'm I'm not defending the Viking Lord guys. You know, Can I ask they, you a question? Yeah, yeah, go for it. So you you played you've played uh, Memoir Forty Four and Battle Lords and all that before you played uh, before you played Viking Lords, right? Right to the to the point where I would say the reason I was interested in Viking Lords was because it was a system I was familiar with. Okay, let, let us uh, and you'll find that lawyers love to do this. Let us uh, posit Trap a hypothetical. Uh, no, no, no. Let us posit <laughs> a hypothetical. If you'd gone to play Viking Lords, you did no idea who'd written it. Would you have thought it was a board game? Um, yeah, because of the cards, right? I, I think I think that's kind of a tip, but also I don't think I would have ever found it otherwise. Well, wait. I, I, I think I think more than anything else, the the Viking Lords guys going and having an interview and making some noise and and getting a write up at a at a blog that I happen to read from a, from a guy who's a good writer was enough marketing to get me to go 
and play the game. But to go back one set, you said, well, it uses cards, but then my thoughts immediately, I mean, Command and Colors is not the only system that kind of limits to you to what you've got in your hand. My thoughts immediately go to War of the Ring, in which the it's a little bit different. How you utilize those cards is very different from the way you do in Command and Colors, but it is yet another example of a game where you are constrained to the cards you have in your hand to execute certain actions. But the, the question so, is... So is are you wondering if that's protected? a... Mar uh a mechanic that that deserves to be protected. But I think that that's a whole thing, right? As Will was pointing out, mechanics can't be protected. The work is protected, and is it are those the, the work is copyrighted? Are those protectable elements? And I think that it let has me, to it goes to the whole the idea. Will you explain it because you're the lawyer? Let me just jump in briefly, which is I didn't I didn't say the mechanic is not protectable. The the mechanic may very well be protectable okay. if it's a protectable element of an original work. I mean, if the mechanic is original enough. In terms of the game itself, that that might very well be protectable. I mean, I'm calling as part that of pornography as, conundrum from now on. As part it's of the, the yeah, it's, it's reasonable, right? You know, uh, it's a reasonable. But it, the question is, is it a protectable element of the greater work? I mean, I think a specific mechanic is probably very unlikely to be protectable. Like just. I use cards instead of dice or something like that. But, but, you know, it's in the aggregate. You know, I've got the three-zone movement plus cards. For I mean, when I start putting all of that together into the things that, I mean, you know, that render it recognizably this kind of game uh, and, and recognizably, you know, uh, I mean, so my, my, the thing that struck me in the interview about that was when the interviewer, so not somebody with a dog in this hunt at all, said to himself that he noticed with delight that all of the basic mechanics were there, from the cards to the different units to the color strengths to bold and battle back to terrain and structures. So he's taking all of these elements that were present and, and possibly some of them protectable sub-elements of the greater work, possibly not. And in their assembly, he's saying, I saw all of this congruence with this other work, right? It's when I it's when I see a statement like that that I say what that my head that my that my hackles start to rise, right, and my lawyer uh, sense goes off, and I say wow that's maybe an indicative uh, of copying, right, of of improper use because because now I'm not now it's not just I said oh hey I like three zone game and I like cards, but it starts to become an aggregate of all of the elements of those things together, right? I just so feel that, like we've seen that happen before in other games. Well. Right, you know, I mean, I. You but know, what's, uh, let, 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 let let you finish. You've seen that happen before in other games, and it wasn't litigated. It, no, I mean that's. I I feel like my position. Mm -hmm. You know, I I speak for myself here mm -hmm. is that I our 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 hobby is built on taking those ideas and hopefully refining them. But if not refining them, at least putting them into a different context. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't know if, if applying this to Vikings and, and you know, uh, Albions or Britons or whatever the other side is called in this game is enough, but at least they're different scenarios. Um, I, and and I, I feel like a lot of the games that we love would not have been able to do this if, if or would not, would not have become games that we love if, if others hadn't taken these ideas and, and made them their own in some way. I guess what I'm saying is this doesn't bother me that much. I, I don't feel like Richard Borg is really all that hurt by this. I think Fantasy Flight is making the exact kind of noise that they probably need to make. Maybe they're kicking themselves because they didn't take these guys up on their iPad game. But I don't feel... I feel like the the, the damage of 
fantasy flight going after these guys and, and sending real cease and desist letters and suing these guys, the public perception would be worse because gamers aren't all that concerned. Hang on, though, just for one second. I mean, yeah, you know, here's an argument I heard regarding uh, extending copyright on you know classic literary works, but I, I think it applies to gaming too. Is that you know, I mean, as consumers to an extent, we we benefit by not having a glut of crap on the market. Um, you know, it, it it's good when there's someone out there who who you know is take is taking the time to make sure that you know you get you get the real article and you get a high quality version of that article. Um, and I I don't think you know yes this this one game existing cribbing liberally from uh, Command and Colors doesn't really harm us, but I get concerned when. It's, it, if it were basically a free for all out there, and you know, hey, if you can make the app, go ahead, go ahead and rip them off. Because then, as the consumer, I mean, I'm worried that a company I like can't really find the market share that it, that it really deserves uh, when it finally comes out with the with the official version uh, that was made in conjunction with the designer who developed the system. And I'm also not happy because I've got to sort through, God knows how many clones of you know the game I want. I've got, I've got to sift through those and and find the one that, you know, that is that is actually the game and not just an inferior ripoff. Right, and the perception you're of, your... of the Scrabble example. If if we if we can stick with iOS for a second, you're, all the different types of games that are out there that are variations of Scrabble and are very much like Scrabble. Uh, and I think I think Hasbro at one point even sued a company for doing a Scrabble like game until they yeah, finally they, put they, their game out. They stopped the Scrabulous guys. Right, uh, the, and, and, they, and, and their Scrabble game wasn't as good, and people complained. Hmm. Does that have any? Does that does that case the the Hasbro Scrabble thing have any? You know, uh, prior. There's a legalese term here I can't think of. Precedent maybe over over something like this would that help? Fantasy Flight if they decided to go to to court on this. Would it help? I mean, Scrabulous was essentially a direct rip of Scrabble, right? I mean, it wasn't. There was no. From my understanding, I mean, I'm, I'm, now I'm really talking in the uh, abstract because I don't, I didn't play Scrabble. But my understanding was that it literally was just a social media port of Scrabble. I mean, you could just play exactly Scrabble, same, same distribution of letters, same everything. Right. So I mean, if there was ever a clear-cut case of uh, infringement by creation of a derivative work, <laughs> uh, I think that's pretty much probably it. So does it affect this? I think this is a pretty different situation because if, if I mean, at, at, at worst, uh, if let's take the worst version for the Puffin guys, they've filed the serial numbers off and, you know, there you go. Uh, and at best for them, they've done enough uh, transformation to the underlying game to make it a new game, right? And, and it's somewhere in the middle. And I mean, an interesting question that I think Rob raised was that, you know, how do you, so why is it that, why is it that we have a copyright? Well, I mean, one of the things is so that people can't come and compete with us with our own product, right? I mean, that's it, it, in, the, in, in the, this country, at least, uh, being the United States, so we, we consider that to be unfair, right? You shouldn't be able to compete with me with my own, I, with my own developed work. Uh, can right? I just interject one thing here? Sure. Um, also, just uh, you know, I'm just rem reminded of uh, wasn't didn't Capcom end up kind of accidentally on purpose publishing a ripoff of Explosion Man? Yes. Yeah, I mean, so so yeah. there you have an example of a major company uh, stepping in to basically take an idea made by the little guy, and you know, again, sort of uh, what was what was the phrase? Filing the serial numbers off. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. You know, it's it's so you. I mean, you want to protect these guys, right? I mean, you want to protect. Uh, I mean, I guess I'd ask. I'd ask I, in in my lawyerly fashion, I would turn this on its head. I'd say, do we want to protect the guys who are repainting the chits and putting out a new game that's just like some other game that you liked, so that you have one more game on your shelf, or do we want to protect the guys who say, wow, here is this completely new thing, right? Which uh, you know we can argue that that the that the Richard Borg system is, and then he should be the guy that gets to have the the money from those games, right? I mean, who, do we want to protect him so that he can keep guys like him so they keep going out and doing it, or do we want to protect these other guys? I mean, that's one of the uh, we call that a, but a policy. That just makes me think I'm right? glad I don't have your job. But I just want to point out also, Will, don't you do a lot of a lot of uh, patent uh, litigation for uh, for small inventors who find their uh, their processes or their their patents uh, infringed by large companies and basically um, their only recourse is is uh, you know is patent law that is a lot of what we do we we but now we do both sides I mean right. I, uh, we, we do defense and 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 offense uh, in that in that realm but I mean uh, most of what I do is actually patent law uh, and it's often for uh, smaller inventors um, so, you know, obviously my David and Goliath hat is typically, typically with David, uh, but it's not always, you know, I, I certainly have been, uh, in, in plenty of situations where I think that, uh, you know, the guys who are being accused of infringement haven't done anything wrong. And that's, you know, the case both in patent and copyright cases, but from, from the non-legal perspective, Bruce, Rob, like, do you guys, do you guys look at this and think that Richard Borg and or Fantasy Flight are hurt by this? I mean, I, I guess we should express opinions at some point. I've been trying to avoid expressing an opinion because I didn't want to turn this into a into an argument about you know whether you know uh, intellectual property is a valid concept or you know whether uh, you know everything oh, should well, be open I, source. No, I don't think it's quite whatever. that broad-reaching. Right, right. I mean, okay. we so, we can look at the screenshots and and see like. Well, but I mean, it it, just, is this something? If we saw it in the store in the app store, would we right, buy it? Right. In, or would we in be? General, or would we not? I mean, I'm generally very sympathetic to the idea of people, uh, you know, people being able to legally protect, you know, copyright, uh, patent, or whatever intellectual property that they can legally assert, um, because I think that fundamentally that that is what uh, you know drives people to uh, to innovate. But uh, you know, people can certainly disagree with me. Um, I, whether I think Richard Borg is hurt by this, um, you know, I don't know what what GMTs or fantasy, uh, fantasy Flight's business plans are for electronic versions of their games. Um, it sounds to me like people really, really want. Uh, I think the the branded product is always going to win. You know, if if People want to play some game that says Battle Lore on it. People want to play some game that says, you know, Command and Colors Ancients or whatever. And I think if you give people a way to give people access to that uh, to that product that you, and, and it's a good product that you're, you know, that you'll be successful, assuming that you, you know, you develop it in a reasonable way. Um, I, I really, you know, I really don't know if if Richard Borg gets is financially hurt because I don't know what his what his um, what his financial agreements uh, are and what his you know rights assignments have been. Um, I think that this sort of, um, I, I mean, I think in the gaming community because of the way the gaming community is, it makes him look bad because I think that 
the generally the assertion of intellectual property in in the gaming community often is seen as uh, is is inherently illegitimate. Uh, that people just like like this guy, uh, this Viking lore guy said, uh, you know, get over it. You know, everybody does it. So I think that, uh, and it's there's also a very uh, very strong um, sympathy for you know the little guy versus you know the big corporation, which you know the idea of calling Fantasy Flight Games a big corporation is kind of ludicrous. But um, but you know there's that. So I don't know. I haven't played the game. I I <laughs> once again I'm in the position of of being not a really that big a fan of the game system that is being discussed. I mean, Will and I have played some Memoir 44 together. Um, I'm not a huge, I, I really understand why Memoir 44 is popular. I'm not a huge fan of it, but I, I think it's a, I think it's a very clever, I think Command and Colors, that Battle Lore, Memoir 44, that system is very clever. I, I, I really admire the, the innovation, the, the, the creativity that went into de developing. I certainly could never have thought of that. Um, and I'm, I really admire, uh, game designers for being able to come up with interesting game mechanics. Um. I don't particularly, you know, it's not something that I would go out and buy uh, electronically. I have, they have, uh, Game Table Online has the um, uh, the Command and Colors stuff, ba the Battlecry. Battlecry is Command and Colors, right? Basically? In, in the Civil uh, yeah, War? Yeah, yeah. I think it's the first one. Yeah, so, I mean, I I don't really, I have access to Game Table Online. I have no interest in playing Battlecry. But, um, you know, I, I'm going to answer your question. Does this hurt Richard Bork? I have no freaking idea. You know, I mean, to answer your question, Corey, like, as I look at the screenshot, I'm, I definitely, I'm looking at it and I see like, I can see movement stopping in the forest, you know, I mean, the mo and that's, that's classic man colors. The moment a unit enters any kind of complicated terrain, movement halts pretty much. Right. Um, but it's one of those things like, that happens. With, without having played it, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care to, care to speculate on whether it's not, whether it's a ripoff or not. Um, but you know, I, I, what I get concerned about is I want to protect the innovator. I don't want the law's interest in protecting innovators and creators to become license for um, you know patent trolls, basically to begin trying to squelch innovation by showing up with injunctions every time someone does anything anywhere near your chosen patch of turf. That's I mean that's kind of what concerns me. I mean if you know if you reimagine like Sid Meier as some sort of like mustache twirling villain. Um, and he starts showing up, you know, to to various other developers who are trying to make four X's, and he's like, "Yeah, nice, nice tech tree you got there. Where'd you get the idea for a tech tree? You getting research right. points to climb that tech tree?" And you know, then he, then he's making the case, "Well, you're, you're ripping off civilization." I think that's an example. Like civilization, there's an entire genre that kind of cribs from that game again and again. The genre refers to it again and again. And my fear there, and Will, maybe you can lay it or, or maybe not, my fear is that, you know, if you begin, if you allow too much leeway in enforcing copyright, uh, you know, for, for stuff like, um, you know, game mechanics or, or letting, letting the accretion of these, of these the, the accumulation of these mechanics uh, begin to give you intellectual property rights over something, my fear there is that you begin to that you would cast too wide you would cast too wide a net. Now, first you refer to patent trolls. I don't know if I can even talk anymore. That's like a a slam on many of my clients, but I will <laughs> I'll keep I'll keep moving. Um the uh 
you know, it's it's an interesting question, right? Is and it's 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 always a balance in the law. Is how how far do you go in enforcing, right? So your patent example is you, you refer to somebody who's getting anywhere near your territory. Well, in the patent law, in theory, uh, you can't actually enforce to anybody who's near your territory. They got to be smack in your territory. I mean, that's the whole point of that 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 rule of of the law. And so, I, you know, without getting going down the rabbit hole there, you know, the, the idea that you could just sort of widely cast a net uh, is, I think, often misplaced. It's, it's much, much harder to win those cases uh, than I think the public perception is that it, that it is. Um, it's just, you know, there's, there's a lot of hurdles to victory. Uh, and now, admittedly, those are expensive. So, I mean, it, it is, there's, there is some, I understand both sides of that, of that situation. So, in the copyright area, you know, it's a much more touchy-feely uh, side of things, right? I mean, because because they tend to be artistic works, because it's not a machine, right? So it's not like it's something where this part moves that way and that part moves that way. I think it's easy to get into that mindset uh, when you're talking about analysis of comparison. You say, well, there's this thing that moves this way and this other thing that moves that way. When when really you gotta you gotta look at the at the whole animal, and so I think. You know, the idea that you do a 4X game with a tech tree. I mean, so a lot of that stuff, it seems to me, and again, this is, you know, totally off the cuff, so it seems to me a lot of that stuff is going to be uh, part of the natural consequence of doing a game like that. So I want to do a game about uh, the development of a civilization or an empire or whatever, and I want to talk and I want to talk about, you know, the the advancement of of technology and that. I mean, I don't, I don't, maybe I'm, you know, sometimes it's... You know, maybe I'm not the smartest uh, game designer type thinker in the world, which is probably a good thing since I don't do that for a living. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't see a lot of other ways to do some of that stuff, right? Once you've made, and, and this again goes back to this whole idea of once you've made the decision to make a certain kind of a game, there's a lot of stuff that's going to come along with it. I mean, there's also some sort of elements that I think would be pretty tough to assert standing on their own a copyrightable interest, right? So take your evil Sid Meier uh, in, in our alternate history, and he's got his twirling mustaches, but he can't just go after anybody that, kid, that uses any element of Civ, right? Because a lot of those elements are going to be common to any game about the era. A lot of those elements are going to be common to any game about that kind of thing. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that uh, I don't think that 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 monster is particularly present, you know. Even in this instant case, I could see an argument. I mean, and, and certainly if I were, uh, you know, if I were the guy who was who was given the task of defending uh, Puffin against some kind of a, an attack or, or some kind of a lawsuit filed by uh, either Fantasy Flight or, or Richard Borg, I mean, I would I would make some arguments. I mean, there's certainly stuff you can say. You can say, hey, look, they they completely changed the theme. The look and feel of it is entirely different. Yeah, they use this common elements, but I would say, hey, those are going to be elements that are part of, you know, this is what we do, right? As lawyers, we make both sides of the case, and then we say that we don't know what the answer is. So, uh, you know, I can say, I you know, I can I can make the argument for the other side if I had to. I mean. You know, me looking at it, looking at the things that were said, and sort of this, I, I can say, hey, these were not these were not particularly brilliant things to say about it, um, because they're they're hurting your argument that this is a derivative, a not not a derivative work, but rather a transformative work inspired by, right? So you know, it really becomes a question of how close is is this to the original, and how did they end up developing it? And so I think this 
this fear that it's going to somehow have a chilling effect on game designers the world round. I mean, I don't see it. I think part of the issue with this particular game and this particular situation is that this this way of uh, of laying out movement and, and uh, the cards and the rest of it is pretty different from anything else that was out there. And so when you see something that's very much like it, your immediate reaction is to say, wow, well, that's that's an awful lot like this other thing because that thing was so different. So, you know, when you've got a lot of things that are all uh, much more uh, samey, it becomes a question of, of, of what we would call uh, a strong copyright versus a weak copyright, right? You know, if I write a completely novel uh, book, right, then it, that, that's going to have a pretty strong copyright associated with it because all the material, uh, every element in it's going to be new, right? If I write, so I can do, so I, but on, on the converse, I can do like a collection of phone numbers and addresses and I can uh, present that in a new fashion. Well, I'm going to have, I think, a, a much less strong copyright. I'm going to have a weaker copyright because all, so many of those elements are already present in the world. They're already, and I'm just assembling them in this way. So my copyright's going to be, I still get a copyright. But you know the, the protectable elements of it are going to be far fewer and 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 much less identifiable because really for me the only the whole thing is going to be the copyright. So I think when you're looking at some of the, some of the games that are out there, and I don't want to pick any examples, but you can see an example of a game that really isn't that unique, right? It it isn't that uh, mm-hmm. it isn't that novel, it isn't it isn't all that original. Well, that, that's going to have, I think, a, a less strong copyright because you're not going to be able to point to this, you know, a lot of originality to it. Uh, but when you look at something where the, and I think everybody, at least, and, and like I said, I haven't played these games a whole ton. I've played just a little Memoir 44, but certainly it seemed very different than any of the strategy type games that I ever played before. Um, and every commenter seems to say the same thing. This is a totally uh, unique and original version of, you know, doing this kind of a game. So I think that if we're talking in, on that on that spectrum, yeah, somebody like somebody like Richard Borg is going to have a more powerful copyright right to assert because his 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 stuff is going to be more original and you know less like the other things that are out there, but. Uh, so, so do we end up in a world where, you know, the Richard Borgs of the world are suing everybody for copyright infringement? I think probably not. I think probably only in cases like this where it's, you know, at, at worst a close call. And at best, you know, some kind of a, some kind of an actual derivative work. You know, so, you know, I don't, I don't see a world where every game designer who does a World War II game is going after every other game designer that does a World War II game or, or there's this... You know, chilling effect. Certainly in the game industry, I mean, the bad PR associated with uh, asserting your rights, I think, is, is has its own has its own you know has its own uh, limiting factor on doing it. So you know, is it going to create a world where everybody's suing everybody? I mean, I, I tend to think not. I tend to think the cases are going to be pretty few and far between. I mean, you look at a situation like this, and who knows what these guys were doing? I mean, maybe the reason they weren't interested is because they were already developing their own game, right? And if you're already developing your own game, maybe it's at a price point that's different. Maybe you just don't want to work with these guys. I mean, you don't have to. It's your work. You get to do and develop who you want to develop with. The the interesting thing for me is whether or not this is actually uh, protectable or not. I'm very curious. Um, you know, I, I understand the whole idea that that uh, that people are afraid that 
if you just run around and start suing people, then people who don't have a lot of money to defend themselves and who are you know risk averse are going to be even less likely to uh, to create works um, because they're afraid of being uh, of, of legal consequences um, and the fact that uh, you know that the suit would ultimately be unsuccessful is not that much of a of a or it is it is not that much of a deterrent. I don't know. It's a difficult question. I, I don't, uh, I, like I said, I didn't want to get into a whole argument about intellectual property and, and whatnot. But uh, all, I, all I want to say is that I want games that I enjoy to be available in as many ways as possible that are good, right? Because I think that you can hurt a game by having, you know, some crappy version, uh, uh, some some crappy presentation of your intellectual property, right? If you had some really really terrible uh, Warcraft uh, ripoff that was out there that was widely available, and people started playing playing it and thought, "God, this is terrible," you know, then then it really reflects poorly on Warcraft and might hurt Warcraft's IP. So um, and then you know maybe would uh, would lead to uh, less uh, development of the Warcraft property maybe maybe not since that's probably a bad example but um, what I'm what I'm saying is that I want as many works that are good on topics that I enjoy to be available but I also want the people that created them to be rewarded because I think that's the best way to keep them uh, keep them making more works I mean you want to those people need to have an incentive you have to find the people that are good at this stuff which is certainly not me uh, to make games and when they make good ones I want them to be rewarded so that they make more good ones, and um, you know the I think the role of intellectual property in that is important. That's that's basically all. I, I mean, I don't have any other. I don't have any other thoughts on it that wouldn't take uh, about three years to discuss. Can I say one thing that isn't in any way legal? Yeah. In my experience, creative people create, and no legal structure will ever stop them because they do it. Bruce Garrick writes game reviews, or he writes analyses of his, you know, his, uh, of, the, of World War II as applied to the war in the East, and he does it because he likes to do it and because his drive is to do that thing. And you couldn't stop him if you wrote a law that said he can't do it. Oh, I, I because, disagree with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, I mean, and creative people are going to create whatever obstacles you have that you put in the way. Mm -hmm. And even under... And under our current system in the U.S., I, I honestly believe that creative people creating is almost never going to cause them trouble under the copyright laws anyway. I mean, you know, maybe may in some very rare circumstances. But, you know, creative people are going to create, and you really can't stop them. Yeah, and I don't want to stop them. I, wanna, I, I want them to be rewarded for doing that. I'm not some kind of fascist. I, I want to have a final thought. Yeah, yeah. And I don't I don't know if I do aside from I think I think in the end this is a lot of sound and fury. Mm -hmm. Um I, I I don't I don't think I think it's an interesting discussion to have and it's an interesting discussion to think about and I absolutely agree with everybody on the panel here about protecting creator rights because that's that's very important. But I do feel strongly that innovation is tough in this industry and that it, iteration is probably more likely what we're, what we're going to get and and there's nothing really wrong with that um i don't know if i'd call this innovation i i don't think this is a game that 
we're not going to see a Viking Lords 2 that's suddenly going to have uh, persistent online battles or anything. Um, but it hopefully it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting wake up call to Fantasy Flight or maybe even to Richard Borg himself to to get his own properties out on this platform yeah. and other platforms. Yeah, I agree. If 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 the if the long end of this gives us a version of Memoir Forty Four or actually what I really want is Command and Colors on like Xbox Live or Steam, then consumers win, and mm-hmm. I'm thrilled about that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I mean, I would I would say I mean I would love to have access to more board games through my computer, you know, on Steam or Game Table Online, uh, but also every time I see every time I see an iPad um, and I look covetously upon them, I, I think my God, if there was you know. Board gaming's day has come, you know, on the elect- on the electronic formats, mm-hmm. um, and that, I think that was I I think the the touchscreen interfaces, you know, are going to have a huge impact on on board games, uh, and and how they're released, but they're not they're not quite caught up to to the technology there, and I doubt I, I suspect we'll see a lot more cases like this as. You know, sort of the developer community, you know, the fan community, races ahead to try to, you know, bring versions of their favorite games yeah. out to uh, out to their chosen platforms before the, uh, you know, originators are really ready to do that. Yeah, well, it, uh, it takes a while, doesn't it? I mean, when did Mem- when did Memoir Forty Four come out as uh, electronically? It was a 60th anniversary. Oh, electronic? Yes, mm. electronically it was like about the, a year the, ago. The I think Memoir Forty Four beta in six thing. months. Right. Right, and when did Memoir 44 come out? That was the 60th anniversary of the D-Day Landings game. Yeah, so, I mean, I remember when I was doing, uh, when I was working with... Dave... I'm sorry, hang on. I'm not sure there was a date in there. Was there a date in uh, there? 60th anniversary would be, of D-Day would be 2004, right? Yeah. I'm on the wrong podcast. <laughs> okay. Oh, shame on you, Corey. <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm sorry. It's Get okay, we're out. good. We're good. No, no, we're not. No, oh, okay, we're not. Corey. Corey. <laughs> okay, call the police. Right. Say goodnight to Corey, everyone. <laughs> NKVD. No, no, go on. Bruce. All right, so uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Bruce. So the the point is that um, when I was working with uh, Days of Wonder, um, or working with them, they, when I was writing about uh, Ticket to Ride, uh, when it had come out, they had their their free Ticket to Ride uh, access. Uh, if you bought the the boxed game, uh, I wrote a, an article about uh, about that for uh, Computer Games and also uh, for The Escapist. Um, they were already talking about how you know excited they were about making an electronic uh, memoir forty four, and they had all this you know it was you know in development, and you know it's it came out in two thousand and ten, uh, and you know it, that was years after you know I was initially talking to them, and I would run into them at cons, and I would they would say oh yeah you know it's 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 in the, it's in progress it's in it's in the works, and uh, so I think that. Um, and, and, and question is, is it any good? The Memoir 44 version? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's a pretty good translation of the board right. game. That, so, that's going to say a lot to people whether they like the board game. Right, but I mean, it, 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 for people who like the board game, I mean, it, it came that, that came out well, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, the I, I think it could be better. I think it could be more polished. Mm-hmm. And, that's too bad. And I, I would love to see Days of Wonder give more more attention to those kinds of mm-hmm. ports, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, I think that, I, I'd love to, I, I'm just completely talking with it with, with zero information because I have no idea, you know, how their business model looks and whether uh, the resources they could put into, into these kinds of uh, uh, ports, you know, how, how, what their, what their, 
potential revenue is from it. I would hope that it's a lot because I want to see more of that stuff, even if I'm not particularly, uh, uh, you know, excited about more uh, more Richard Borg Command and Colors type uh, games out there. Well, I think it's you know it's it's easy to forget it as we as we talk this over. I mean, you know, here we've been talking about Fantasy Flight games as if as if they're the heavy, right? But I mean, in the board gaming world, you know, heavy is a re- you know heavy is a really relative term. Mm. Um, and you know, it's, it's in the board gaming world, they are kind of a heavy though. Well, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I mean, outside the board gaming world, but that's I what mean, I was the, talking. That's right. what I mentioned earlier. Like the idea of talking about you know fantasy flight games as this big evil corporation is kind of ludicrous. Right, and I mean, I can totally understand why these companies are kind of hesitant to, you know, really. I mean, strike out to to create a really robust electronic side of your games. I mean, that's really getting in territory that you're maybe not equipped to deal with, and I can understand their caution for it. But you know, I think it's interesting in the in that's the a can of worms. In the in, yeah. in the interview, um, you know the the Puffin Games guy. I don't think he ever actually says that the Fantasy Flight turned him down. Uh, just that just that he kind of reached the conclusion, you know, as it took forever for them to as they were corresponding by email. He kind of reached the conclusion that he just didn't really want to deal with them. Didn't really. Want yeah, to he said they were them. slow. Yeah, and they were slow. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the real tension is the iOS, you know scene it, it changes so quickly mm-hmm. evolution happens so quickly it's it's so easy to prototype and execute mm-hmm. and you've got developers there who are used to that pace and kind of used to maybe a more relaxed attitude towards intellectual property mm-hmm. um, not used to the business pace yeah right yeah. yeah well there should be more good games that's what that's my conclusion oh bold statement sir yes. bold okay statement. on that bombshell yeah. All right, so three moves ahead is firmly, uh, you know, in the camp of more good games. Excellent. Uh, you, you can feel free to argue with us in the comment thread, uh, and I hope you will retweet and uh, mention this episode on forums of your choice. Uh, anyway, thanks so much, you guys, for for coming on the show and putting together, you know, kind of an offbeat and really interesting discussion. And uh, thank you, Will, for saving us from what is far too common an occurrence, which is we talk for an hour and discover we had no, no idea what the hell we were talking about the next day. Thank you. Yeah, no thank problem. You. Yeah, hopefully I've been accurate as much as I could be. So uh, it's been a joy to talk to you guys. Uh, I, I'm going to find with uh, serious interest. It's a, it's a very interesting uh, uh, subset of the copyright. Uh, there was a bunch of these sort of cases right when video games first started coming out, and I suspect that this will not be the first one for the iOS uh, platforms, or the last, not, one. not the only one, not the last one. Yeah. All right. And uh, Corey, thank you for uh, coming up with this topic. It was something I'd read about, but uh, it had slipped my mind until you uh, brought it up. And I think it's something that, you know, we should we should definitely pay attention to uh, as right. as that market comes into its own. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Rob. This is actually, I, I hate to admit, uh, a culmination of a dream. <laughs> I've always wanted to be on the show and was never sure that I could I could keep up with the smarty pants that are on Three Moves Ahead. Nineteen forty-four D Day. <laughs> thank you okay. thank you I'm, I'm gonna note that and uh, study up for hopefully the next time i can convince rob to let me on. <laughs> let's go blackhawks oh god oh god please oh god please <laughs> all right i'm with good you on that one go good night, come on they're not playing the red wings, red wings they can win tonight all right they can win tonight all right <laughs> all right i gotta go pour a drink and watch this hockey game excellent all right good night everybody thanks guys good night